Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel, and welcome to another DevOps Unbound. Uh, we have a great panel uh, in store for you today here on DevOps Unbound. Our topic is observability. At a broad level, we're going to jump into some of this. Let me first of all introduce you, though. First, I want to introduce you, of course, to my co-host of DevOps Unbound. He's the CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group, CTO here at MediaOps, my friend Mitchell Ashley. Hey, Mitch, welcome. Alan, thanks. Great to be here. All righty. Let me introduce you to our panel for today. We, we have a great panel. I was so happy that this came together. First, coming at us from the mountains of Virginia, uh, <laughs> <laughs> by way of the Bronx, um, <laughs> exactly. right? R Raven Manuel. Raven, why don't you introduce yourself and where you work? Uh, absolutely. My name is Raven Manuel, and I um, work for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is part of the Smithsonian. I am the, the senior application developer and DevOps engineer. Um, and thanks for not putting me in West Virginia. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't blame you. Next up. <laughs> We have the one and only Charity Major, CTO, co-founder at Honeycomb. Charity, a little bit about yourself, maybe introduce to the audience. I am an ops nerd. I've been on call since I was 17, racking hardware. I no longer rack hardware anymore. Uh, hardware doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, uh, you know, trying to save the world through better observability. Excellent. And then last but not least, we have Kurt Chase of Tricentis, the Kurt Tricentis release team. Kurt, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Kurt Chase. I'm currently head of global release management at Tricentis, uh, based in Northern California. Nice to join you all today. Nice to have you here, Kurt. All right. So team, panel, our, our topic this week is observability. And given that is the topic, I feel compelled to start with Charity. Because Charity, in many ways, you and the Honeycomb team are responsible for, uh, for all this buzz around observability. Tell us, tell us about it. Yeah, a little bit. When we, when we started the company a little over five years ago, it was not a term that was really in, in used, used in tech. Now, which is not to say that we invented it. Far from it. Uh, but it has this long and you know impressive pedigree in, in mechanical engineering, uh, specifically like control theory, uh, and you know in control theory observability is the mathematical dual of uh, controllability. Um, so you know we start we started building this this startup honeycomb, and we knew that what we were doing wasn't monitoring, right? We knew that we weren't reactively monitoring. We knew that we were it was about instrumenting the code, getting from the inside. But for the first five, six months, couldn't figure out what to call, call it. It was really hard to figure out how to talk about what we were doing. And then like, it was like mid-July, midway through the first year when I, I remember Googling, what is the definition of observability? And, and when I read it, you know, it's all about, can you understand what's happening on the inside of a system just by looking at it from the outside with no prior knowledge? And I, and like light bulb just started going up. I was like, ding, 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 like that's what we're trying to build, right? That's exactly. Like if you translate that into software terms, what it means is, can you explain any system state, that any state that your system can get into um, without shipping new code to handle that state? Because shipping that code to handle that state implies that you had prior knowledge. So it's all about the unknown unknowns, right? Instead of the known unknowns. Uh, so yeah, that's my story. <laughs> 
and you're sticking with it. <laughs> so yeah, I, right. mean, I think that it really it really encapsulates, you know, a lot of the problems that people are increasingly having. You know, that there's a lot that proceeds from that definition of unknown unknowns, like you need to have high cardinality, high dimensionality, blah, 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 all this stuff. But but those are the things that speak to, you know, the problems of microservices and like, you know, multiple storage systems, et cetera. I get it. So Raven this is your life, right? How, how does this observability and what charity is described as the, the, pro, the, the fact pattern or the problem pattern that she came to call observability, you know, how does that, in your life day to day of what you're doing, how does that kind of manifest itself? Thanks, Charity, for actually providing a definition because I was like, okay, are we supposed to define our own meaning of observability? Um, so you've given a baseline. And I like that you said that it's not monitoring because I can actually feel the nuance. There's a nuance between monitoring and observability. And um, it's what's really interesting is that that's a problem that I'm trying to solve today at work because we've got and um, because we've got the black boxes, right? So you've got observability, but when you have software, there's a lot of black boxes. You're not supposed to be asking what's going on inside the code because you're not supposed to know what's going on inside the code. But when you get like a, um, you put a signal in, I was um, in the military, so I did um, uh, electronic repair. So you put the signal in and you don't get the right signal out, but you've got a black box. Like, how do you know what went wrong there if you can't actually observe what's going on inside of there? It's one thing to know the state of the software when you're built, when you are the developer. So as a developer, yes, I know. But when it comes to being the product owner or the project manager or a stakeholder, and you're trying to figure out what, like, why is this doing this? And, or this is not what I wanted actually is how that would come from that end is that's not what I wanted. So how to get the, the stakeholders to get what they want when you can't actually tell, like I can't tell what the code from my coworker is doing. Right. Um, so in a way it's a, observability is a little bit, it is abstracted from monitoring because monitoring is telling you what it's doing, but it isn't telling you the state. And so it, it's right. a problem that I'm trying to solve actually today. I was going to jump in here and say, you know, from my experience, although monitoring, you know, logging, reporting, alerting, they're not observability. I think they are fundamental foundational pieces that you have to have in place. You know, um, you can start observability without any of them, but I've found that the more you can get your monitoring, reporting, and even get some alerting going, it allows you to then start observing the system. And for me, it's what I know at Splunk and now here again at Tricentis. I'm really trying to connect all the pieces because it's not just about the applications, but I find that some of the DevOps engineers, they really help with observability, especially the ones that are super inquisitive. And they don't just, when a result appears or something happens, they don't just take it at face value. They're inquisitive. They dig in, they try and find the root cause. And I think that's key with observability is taking all the monitoring, reporting, alerting you have, taking the feedback you have from your customers. All of that comes together, I think, to really help you start to define those unknown unknowns that Charity brought up. I think it becomes very complicated. And then I think I'd love to talk about how AI and machine learning now can start mm -hmm. to 
learn some of these things because I think we get really good at repeatable incidences, observing those and then accounting for those in our systems. But it's the unknown unknowns. How do we deal with those? You know, that's the real interesting part to me nowadays, for sure. It is, I think, the interesting part. And I also think that AI ops is mostly bullshit and it will be for the foreseeable yeah. future. For a while, um, I agree, but, yeah. But I wanted to circle back to what you said about, you know, uh, logging and everything, which is, so th there's a technical definition for observability, which has to do with high cardinality all this stuff. And then there is just understanding your systems, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I absolutely agree, like you need some alerting, you need some monitoring. I think that the question is, of is it log files? Is it metrics? Yeah. It, that that's kind of irrelevant. They're, they're just data, right? What's important is can can you understand what's happening in your system when you need to understand it? Um, and I do think it's important to sort of differentiate the technical definition of observability from just the tendency that we have to say observing things yeah. because it, you know there, there's a very rich and mature and well-established set of best practices for monitoring. Um, which are in many cases completely mirror opposite from the best practices for observability. Like for example, with monitoring, it's like for years we've been saying, you know, uh, you should not have to stare at graphs all day. The system should inform you when you need to, when there's something wrong, right? It's super, you know, canonical best practice. But with observability, it's it's exactly the opposite. Um, it's it's we're saying that you know, most problems that happen are so subtle that you need to be looking for them, right? You don't, you can't page everyone at the threshold. Like you would drive them nuts if you're like, oh, every little thing is going wrong. Bing, bing, bing. You just you drive people nuts and they would quit, right? But when you're an engineer, when you're working on this endpoint or when you're trying to like solve this problem, you should absolutely be like looking through, asking questions, iterating on them and looking for the, the trails in, in your observability tool at that very fine grained level. I agree. So, you know, I, I I hear what all three of you said, and it's funny, you know, how everyone brings their own mm -hmm. their own baggage oh, to sorry. this issue. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Don't be sorry. I love it. Here's here's I think fundamentally for those people out here who are watching this home. I I got a lot of people out here who are DevOps people, who are ops folks, SREs, cyber folks, and you know their heads are spinning because I I think there's there's a little bit of what Kurt said to them, which is. They don't do it. They do a crap. They do a shitty job monitoring. Quite frankly, we don't do a great job of it. People started throwing this AI ops word around, and there are a lot of companies raising a yeah, crap ton of money around you know their AI ops stuff. And I never really understood what was real about it. In many times, right? It just sounded like another word for monitoring to me. But whatever, <laughs> there is no AI in it. But yeah. you know. And now, look, over the last year, year and a half, two years, maybe we've seen observability come up here, and they don't get the difference. Raven, I think you do, because quite frankly, your black box analogy with electronics in the, in the military, that, that is, you got to figure out what the unknowns are from the unknowns. It's not just getting all these signals which are known and then, you know, recognizing patterns and, and putting some automation behind it. That's not observability. I'm sorry, right? That, not in my mind anyway. So I, I think number one is we need to clearly define. And, and Charity, you guys, you, you are a major 
kind of evangelists for this. What is observability versus AI ops versus ALM, which is before AI ops, right? And 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 so forth. And and there are SREs who are living this, and and DevOps teams who are living this every single day out here, right? Who who haven't got their heads around it. Raven, I, I always look to you as someone though who who gets it. Where where do you fit on the where do you kind of see it on let's you know, let's say there's a, a scale of ALM, AI ops, blah blah blah, observability. What do you think? I feel like I would be very most close to observability. And um because again, all anything with ops in it, when you start doing like DevSecOps and DevOps, like all of those ops are just become marketing terms after after a while, right? But um, observability is, because it's um, it's not quite tangible, it, it's actually more real because it's real, because it speaks to exactly what's coming, what's going on when you're trying to um, get continuous improvement because the, you need metrics, right? To show, to show and prove that you're doing continuous improvement. But how do you um, get there? Like, what is it, what, what are the steps to get you there? How are you alerted that you're not improving or that you are going backwards? And so when I, I feel for me, as far as observability, I'm, I'm at the cusp because I didn't actually know that there, the word existed until, until I found out about the talk. Like I didn't know that it had been defined. Um, so it's really cool mm -hmm. to know that I can now call it observability. It's because it's that thing that um, I can't, there isn't a tool to actually help me under, to actually help me know what it is that I'm looking at all the time, not all the time, right? There are some tools that help me some of the time, but not all the time. And it's the times that I don't know that's when we are stuck because it could be impacting the way my system performance or the team's performance. Charity, I think you might have a customer there. It sounds like they need a tool. <laughs> I think that like one of the one of the key differentiators here between observability and you know AI ops and stuff is is what it tries to center. Um, mm. With observability, like we we are not, you know, the AI apps are like, eh, we'll tell you what to look at. You know, you, you know, you don't need to understand your systems. We'll understand your system for you. We'll tell you what to look at. We'll tell you what it means. We'll tell you what's, what's important. Um, with observability, it's it's the opposite. It, you know, I think that we need to we need to look to solutions that let computers do what computers are good at, and let humans do what humans are good at. Mm. Computers are good at crunching lots of numbers. But they can't attach meaning to something, right? Only human beings can attach meaning to something. If I see a big old spike of red, that could be good. That could be bad. You don't know. Like there is no meaning until a human has attached them to it. And with AI ops, like AI ops only really works with the corpus of data that you're training on. Doesn't change. So if you're actually shipping new software every day, you're fucking up your corpus. Like you, this is kind of incompatible with modern software development. Um, I have many thoughts and feelings in AI apps, God bless them. Uh, but mostly I think that what they're trying to do is, is take the humans out of the driver's seat. And I understand why, because, you know, C-levels, CTOs, CIOs, whatever. Um, this, this is something that kind of blew my mind when I realized it a couple of years ago. You know, they trust vendors over their own people, right? Their employees come and go. 
vendors are forever. So whenever a vendor comes along, it's like, give me tens of millions of dollars. Your people don't have to hold all of the wisdom in their heads. You know, they, you could replace them. They're, they're fungible. The tool will tell you that tool will be the source of truth. And I just fundamentally reject that. I don't, I've never seen that work well. I think it's a shitty way to treat your people. Uh, and I would prefer to take the And I would not agree with that it, statement, quite honestly. It, I've had leads that um, aren't like that. Uh, put it All in. right. Mr. Vice President, I'm talking. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> and using our tools to 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 make them better, right? To enhance them, to, to give them a better sense of like where they sit in time and space and the history and what's happened before and what they're they should, they should be wearing grooves in the system as they wear as they use it and as their team uses it. So I, I think that it's just that if you're centering a person, observability, and if you're centering uh, the it's a, they Sorry, go ahead, Kurt. It's okay, uh, Kurt. Your uh, turn. Just, uh, in my experience, the leads I've had, you know, I'm a senior director level now. It was the same at Splunk. Um, I did not encounter that where my leads trusted vendors more than myself or the people on my team. That uh, I, I'm, I was surprised to hear that, quite honestly, Charity. I, I have not experienced that. That shocked me, too. Uh, it's not yeah. universal, but it, yeah. it, it's there. It, it exists quite a lot. Yeah, that's too bad to hear. That 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 is seriously wrong, and that's going to go against everything we need to accomplish internally. I agree. Yeah, if, it's going to be fun happens. attracting great people with that mental mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You know, and the the other thing, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this charity. We have very complicated systems we're running. You know, the source code management, the build systems, the agents. I've found that it always is very helpful to distill it down into discrete parts. Try not to boil the ocean at once. Let's start with the source code management system. How are we observing that? What are we doing here? You know. And would you suggest that's a great way for people to get going? I mean, when you try and look at everything, you have to look at everything for sure. But to get started, it seems like find some of the most important pieces. Source code management is a great one. You know, the crown jewels. What's your suggestion there for getting started? And Source code management is important, but it's never, it's almost, shouldn't almost ever be in the critical production path. Mm -hmm. and, and when people are rolling something out, I always advise them to find something that's, don't, don't waste your time like, instrumenting, adding observability to like some backwater to the system. Like find the thing that you're trying to understand and fix now. Find the thing that's broken. Find the thing that's causing you pain, right? Mm -hmm. Because you should, it should be an order of magnitude better at answering your questions. Observability should be in monitoring. I honestly mm -hmm. don't think you could look someone in the eye and ask them to, to switch up what they're doing and to use something else unless you can tell them it's going to be an order of magnitude better than what they've got yeah. now, right? Because the, the costs of like, you know, transition are so high. But like with observability, you shouldn't be able to go from, you know, instead of just like these aggregates where it's like, well, I see a, I see a spike, but I can't tell what it means or how they're different. With observability, you should be able to go exactly those rows. How, in which ways are those events different from all of the baseline events? And very quickly go, you know, oh, I have a much richer view of, of my system now. And if once you've got that, you should be able to explain way more about what's going on. So, so like, we see this all the time when people are running out, when they're rolling out honeycomb, right? They start rolling it, they roll it out to a service and they're like, oh God, there are problems there. Did you know that this was broken? Oh, there are. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're just picking up the rug, right? Like it's been there, it's been that way for as long as you know, right? And 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 they'll pick up another service and, and problems. I'm like, yeah, but these problems have existed. You just had no idea because we were dealing with time series activates, right? So I, I feel like, the way to pick up momentum, the way to, to incentivize people to like get excited about this 
It's like, look for the biggest pain point in your system awesome. and attack that with observability. That's great advice. I, Charity, agree. I, I question, does, can observability actually uh, um, take into account process? Because you're talking about like if there's something wrong in the system itself, but sometimes the thing that's wrong with yeah. the system is the process. process. And you're totally right. That's uh, often, that is not something that you should ever ignore, right? A lot of the biggest problems are process problems. But observability is not the tool for that. Mm -hmm. And that's good to know, too, because, you know, quite frankly, and Mitchell knows this, too. We live in a, in a silver bullet world where people think the latest shiny you trinket is the, is the cure-all. You know, observability, yeah, it's not going to cure COVID either. Well, but um, <laughs> and, and that was a point I was trying to make initially. I, you know, I think I said it wrong. It's not that monitoring, reporting, logging are foundational. They're complementary. You kind of need them all. Yeah. You know, if you're running modern stacks, I said that incorrectly at the start. It's not foundational. They're they're so, you need them alongside each other. They're, they're adjacent. They're not. Yeah, they're absolutely. they're not. Absolutely. It's not a pyramid per right. se. Exactly. I think it's part of your stack. You know, yes. horizontally. Yes. Yes. Mitch, and I found, I, we haven't. Got I, I, I was going to say I found with especially new individuals and new people to the DevOps team and the DevOps world, getting them involved in the monitoring and saying, hey, this is how we start monitoring. That's a great place to start. Like it's almost entry level for observability. If you I'd love your opinion on that well, charity, too. I really think that everyone who writes and ships software should be on call for their code. Software ownership, right? Yep. And and, yep. and and so yes, that's very empowering, I think, when mm -hmm. you show them how to how to find the trail, you know, the yep. alert that's paging them, trace all the way through the system and fix it. Like that's something that as engineers, like we feed on that. It's exciting. Yeah. To get to know how to burden your shit better. Yes, absolutely. Well, but so you know what? Mitchell and I started a company or two co-founders of a company called Still Secure 20 years ago. And and that was one of the things Mitchell ran the engineering team. And that was one of the things he instituted, I remember, was that every developer had to take a turn mm -hmm. on, on the help support desk, mm -hmm. like level yeah. one, answer the phone. Hello, Mr. Customer, you know, and, and, and try to explain it because they had to, they had to, they had to answer the alert. And even when they weren't on that level one, our escalation procedure was if it went to level two or three, it was the developer who, mm -hmm. who did the level two I, and I support. Yes. And I, I do think every engineer should be on call for their work. But you have to couple that with it's management's job to make sure that that doesn't suck, that it isn't life in right. that it doesn't just right. like kill you with pages yeah. over. It is yeah. management's absolute fucking responsibility to make sure that they're given the time to away from product project work to like fix these problems so that they don't recure, so that they get enough sleep. Like I, I think it's reasonable to ask any engineer to be woken up two or three times a year for their code. That's it. Because more than that, you're burning people out hardcore. You know, and Charity, Raven, uh, you know, I have a question I'd love to ask all of you. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, observability has been elevated, right? Because of, in part, the world that we're living in, uh, software architecture is changing. You know, we're doing with microservices, all these much smaller things that are interconnected to make software. And at the same time, is we're changing at the pace of which we release software. Not only is it unknown unknowns, it's a change. It's a like a river, <laughs> riven, uh, 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 or in the river of 
the changing software, right? So you're trying to understand all of those things at the same time. It, it seems like it's the right time for observability to be the thing to be working on because ops has to be elevated to the same level of the same kind of architecture and processes that we're using across the so end of, end of the life cycle of the yeah. software. You agree with that or not? It seems to me we're at the right, right place. Yeah, right I feel time. like the first wave of DevOps transformation was all about ops people, learn to write code. We're all like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I feel like the pendulum has swung. I think now it's about, okay, software engineers, your turn. You got to do ops. To write operable services and to learn to maintain them and and you know, call for them and because what microservices has done like all of that complexity and logic used to be bundled up in the app right the, yeah the exactly. app and now it's like ugh, been thrown to the fourth fourth you know directions of the, of the map and and what that means is that so much of like understanding and operating your your application has been pushed into the realm of operations and systems, right? It used to be that if all else failed, you could attach a debugger to your to your app and just step through it, see what was happening, right? Sure. Well, you can't do that anymore now because the process died and jumped to another service and went another service. And part of like the way that we instrument for observability is all about packing up the context of the application and shipping it along with it from hop to hop one event per request per service so that you can slice and dice and, and, and reason about your systems in the way that you used to be able to. You know, doing that really changes the design. I'm thinking yeah. Alan's story about what I did back at Still Secure. What prompted that was when a customer called in and said, I'm sitting in and we're using your product and this dialogue box popped up and it says an unknown error occurred. And that's all it says. Like, what do I do? Well, yeah. nobody knows what to do with that. So we all decide, look, everybody does support in that case, right? Everybody does ops. And that changed. Okay, Robert, we have to figure this out. And suddenly that was the problem of how do we make this easier to support and easier to resolve issues yeah. with. So it does affect behavior and design a product. Yeah, absolutely. I think microservices is, will actually... Um, do good for observability because if you do microservices correctly, right, then each service is, is atomic. It does one thing and one thing only, and it does that mm -hmm. thing good, right? So if mm -hmm. um, the unknown is now taken out of it because you know exactly what oh, no, this honey, thing is supposed is to do. Out of it. I, in, my in my ideal world, it is. <laughs> oh, no. There are no more unknowns. <laughs> Yeah. In Ravensburg, no, exactly. Yeah. But but I'm going to tell you something. The flip side to this, though, too, with microservices, and I think we're starting to see this now, is can you have too many microservices running? <laughs> does it, does it, is the complexity load in there mm -hmm. such that, you know, observability almost becomes meaningless or impossible. I, I don't know that complexity could ever really be created. No, observability is not meaningless. It's, like it's your only hope to understand the shit if that's what you've done to yourself. Um, but like com complexity can only be moved around, right? It's, it's just a question of trade-offs, like which set of yes. trade-offs. Some people have gone whole hog on microservices, you know, and then they found they found the edges to the, those design yeah. patterns, you know, but what I, I, I don't think... I was going to say, what I find challenging is both at Splunk, um, Autodesk was interesting. So to your point, Alan, we used to make engineers buy bagels. You break things, you have to buy bagels. And so we had a lot of bagels brought in. Um, but both at Splunk and here at Tricentis, we have a world where we're supporting large enterprise 
applications and delivery of enterprise apps. We're also obviously all the microservices and trying to apply these techniques across the board is very interesting, very challenging. Oh yeah, there's no one size yeah. fits all. There's not, there's not. And almost to the point you made Raven, observability almost has to be customized for what you're observing. You know, it's, I haven't had a chance to run honeycomb yet, but for me, my experience has been, there's always those little idiosyncrasies about how we run our apps, how we deliver our software. Auto No one else can do it for you, right? It could get get you started, give you a boost, but at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, somebody's got to fucking understand your software. That's right. And roll that into your instrumentation. Right. Nobody else can do that for you, right. let alone. And that's where that's where with AI ops, I won't say it's complete shit. I think there is some value there. Some of it is just about automating common occurrences, and maybe that's not valuable, you know. No, but the I value think of an AI ops is an AI, but they're just using that to make to raise like lots of VC. Money. Oh sure, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Good. Like, <laughs> oh, I have an AI too. <laughs> no, but we, but. And you're right. AI is a is a is a money term, but ML ops is something that's caught on a bit, ah. right? More than I think than AI ops, and I think that's really right. what the heart of it, which exactly. was to recognize repeatable patterns or right. recognize patterns. Although I, I respond would still to. challenge, I think in far too many cases, people are reaching for the complicated solution instead yeah. of fixing it at the start like they're, they're like oh i've got like 50 gazillion emails so i and all about disk space so i need ai to solve it instead of turning off the fucking emails and setting up a different kind of alert or some like automatic failover you know it's just like is this really a problem we need to solve or could we solve it better by just not having it there, there is right. that right do we need to solve every and i think Raven, not raven Charity, you were getting at it before. Do we need to solve every problem? Is it right? the most important problem? Is this going to be the biggest bang for our buck? Yep. I mean, we, I we used to have it. Red gifts are the best gifts. Like, senior engineers <laughs> write software, like, but very senior engineers delete software. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, look, when Mitchell and I were doing the security company, we had a product, Vulnerability Assessment and Management, VAM. Internally, we called it the bad news generator because <laughs> that's what it was. It was the bad news generator. And, and the problem was, you know, we would, we would go to an organization like Ravens and it would, it would, it would pop up, you know, a few thousand vulnerabilities. And, and you know, and, and the security or the ops people would be like, what am I going to do? And I, exactly. don't worry about 95 five percent of them let's just worry about the top five percent right and and it was like it was it was it was uh employment insurance it was it was it was because there would always be more vulnerabilities for us to find next year but that being said it, it really was a case where you're not going to fix everything we don't have the time to fix everything even if we want really to do a great job of giving you differentiation letting you know what's really important and what's just noise right so much yeah they just give you so much noise, and, and it's almost worse than nothing at all. Well, that's why it was the bad news generator. People used to, you want, so Mitchell got the lucky part of designing it. I had to go sell it. <laughs> that was well, much I, I harder. The, much the harder. guy from the federal government called and said, this thing is spamming everybody. In yeah, the defense <laughs> with all these vulnerabilities. We had this automated workflow before that we had cool terms like AI and ML. Uh, but, it, but it is hard. Guys, we're, we're coming down the home stretch here. We probably only have five minutes or so left i i I wanted to let's look forward now right 
I'm, I'm big into looking forward these days. I'm hoping we're going to do conferences in person again. We're going to, oh, I don't know God. if we'll go back to our offices, but um, what, what's next for observability? How, do we, how does this continue to evolve? Oh, what's next is I think really wrapping uh, traces in as a first class tool. So that right now, too many people are like, buy one tool for metrics, one tool for logs, one tool for observability, another tool for traces. They're, spe they're spending to store their data again at every time. And it's worse than that because you can't actually like seamlessly break down and, and, and chain effects. So you're just like copy pasting this ID into that tool or, or hoping that this spike, because it seems to line up time-wise, is actually like these in the logs. You know, that should, you should be paying to store this data once and you should be able to like flip back and forth between modes, right? Are you slicing and dicing? Are you doing aggregations at read time? Are you zooming in? Are you zooming out? Or are you flipping back so you can view it as a waterfall, like by time? Uh, I think that I think that that as observ observability tools like us and Lightstep, which are the only two observability tools out there by my technical definition. Mm. Um, although I will say, um, I do think that this might be the year that that begins to change. I, I know that so many of the big players have been working as fast as they can for years. On the, on the back end, you know, they're trying to catch up to where we sit technically faster than we can catch up to where they sit in terms of the business. So, and I, and I like I, that you said that. I'm sorry, um, Kurt, that chat, no, ahead, I just Raven. wanted to say, no, Charity, no, Raven, go ahead. Um, about tracing, because that's actually the solution that I am actually looking for, that I've been um, looking for. It's got a lot um, of rough organizations. edges. Yes, but the, there are the, lots to of be able to follow any other way. Exactly. So I I feel good that I I'm doing it inherent like a uh, inherently like I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing You're and on I, the right path. I've actually Absolutely. found a way <laughs> to do that. But yeah, uh, chasing I also think is the is the way to go. That is the Absolutely. only way you're going to be able to know um, because it's it's taking you from point A to point B to point C to point D and you'll be able to see that all. And there will be no unknowns. <laughs> oh, honey, you keep saying that. <laughs> let me live my dream. That's what just, let me live my little dream. <laughs> Kurt, what do you got? Yeah, well, where, where mine got, where, excuse me, where my mind goes to in, in the future is, you know, what are we doing in the education system to really disseminate this information, how modern software is developed, how we monitor it. And then also observability is such a loaded term because I know at Splunk, they would consider observability something much different for, you know, running, you know, a sock and things like that. So uh -huh. I think, I, think it, <laughs> I, I mean, in its core, observability is, is, what it is, but how, how it's implemented for different disciplines and how they use it. I think companies would definitely take exceptions with some of the things we've said here and what, yeah. what observability means to them, you know, and I would just say, keep that in mind that there, it is a huge field. And I think we're going to see further improvements. I love the tracing and being able to have that in your tool set would be fantastic. Charity, final thoughts before we wrap. Oh, I am just enjoying the fact that some people are so interested in this that they'll show up and argue about it all the time. So, <laughs> it's all good. Hey, you know what? It, it, it's a living. Uh, Mitchell, as usual, I'm going to give you the last word. Well, I've learned two things today. Don't call my tool an observability tool or an AI tool unless it really meets the definition. <laughs> I'm going to get crucified. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, what, what, I mean, I love this conversation. I learned a ton. I always do when we have these, these, uh, you know, what, 
what's so cool to me is that we're talking about operations and we're talking about, you know, th this part of our world and we're not talking about better ticketing systems. We're talking about <laughs> yeah. really meaty, interesting things that help us do our jobs better, do a better job for the company, for the customer. Um, that's exciting to me. It's just really cool. I enjoy it very much. Join us for our next show where we'll be talking about better ticketing systems. And what argument did I miss? I yeah. was oh, no, 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 no. It's all good. You know what? I enjoy having really bright, smart people who are willing to, you know, express their opinions. And yeah. when I knew we had this panel was the lineup. I knew there was going to be no shortage of opinions, nor be backing down. We're going so, to call the next one the observability mix-up. Mix <laughs> right. Um, We're going to have to call it like observability AI. I still yeah. want to see that. <laughs> AI observability. We, we right. need to see hey. the sticker Charity was holding up. We need to see oh, that. Yeah. Oh, nope. We never got to I that. Yes. I've got a release of not deployed. you got a lot of them here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> right. Friday. You know what? You used to be able to get these things at conferences. Now we, yes. we're reduced to showing yeah, them on Zoom. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, perhaps this is a good day to deploy. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> it's Friday. It's not a good day. <laughs> that Friday. That's the one. Right and there it is. I deploy from Prague. That's the one yeah. to end on right there. Yeah. That's it. Beautiful. We're gonna wrap it. Hey, you've watched DevOps Unbound. It's sponsored by Tricentis. Many thanks to them for sponsoring. I just wanted to quickly mention Kurt is from Tricentis. Charity is from Honeycomb, and it's honeycomb.io. Go a check them out. And a very generous free trip. Raven, you can start playing with it now and uh, cool. see if it's something that gives you tracing and so forth. Mitchell, thanks for joining us. We'll be back. Actually, we are back uh, with a roundtable next, which will be open to the public. Uh, looking forward to having you on for that. Uh, but until then, this is Alan Schemmel for DevOps Unbound. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.